1: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. with ebay authenticity guarantee you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach ensure your next purchase is the real deal visit ebay.com for terms
3: hi this is imran ahmed founder and ceo of the business of fashion welcome to the bof podcast it's friday february 3rd this week the bof podcast comes to you from tokyo where I've been exploring everything there is to learn in the post-COVID luxury and fashion market here in the Japanese capital. Tokyo is an amazing city to visit because the Japanese customer is maybe the most advanced, most discerning, most sophisticated fashion customer on the planet. And so I was really curious to learn how things have changed here over the last couple of years through lockdowns and COVID. Perhaps one of the most interesting conversations I had was with Christine Edmond, executive officer of Zozo Inc. Now Zozo, for those of you who don't know, is one of the largest e-commerce players in the fashion space here in Japan. Christine has a very unique background being half American, half Japanese, raised in Japan, educated in the U.S., worked at H&M in Stockholm before returning here to Tokyo, first to work at Givenchy and now at Zozo. We discussed how the Japanese customer has finally started to take to e-commerce and experienced a massive acceleration during the pandemic. But that doesn't mean their taste, sophistication, and interest in fashion has changed. And so there's something for everyone to learn in this week's conversation. So without further ado, here's Christine Edmond on the BOF Podcast. Well, hello, Christine. I am sitting here with you here in Tokyo, overlooking a beautiful view of the Imperial Gardens. And it's been a really long time since I've been here in Tokyo. And I'm so excited to sit down with you and to learn about everything that's happened here since the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we dive into all things fashion in Japan, I wanted to learn a little bit about you and your personal and professional journey. Can you tell us a little bit about you and how you ended up working in this wonderful business we call Fashion?
1: Sure, my name is Christine Edman. I was born and raised here in Japan. I'm half Japanese, half American. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial business family. My father was a businessman. So dinner conversations were always about business and that was very exciting for me. So I learned from him that you have to love what you do. And have a passion for what you do. And so when I started my career, I started working for Mattel First Toys. Oh, really? Yeah, I just figured, you know what? You start with something that you can relate to and really believe in So I worked with Mattel first and then ventured into working in the year 2000 for my father's company. It was selling cookies. And I thought, why not sell cookies online? So right in the internet boom, trying very hard to start up to bring his business forward to start selling cookies online with no background in tech but a passion and love to what to do. That's how I started, actually. And then fast forward a little bit. I met my husband and moved to Sweden. And in Sweden, I fell in love with H&M. Okay. I mean, having grown up in Japan, there really wasn't a one-stop shop that sold all types of fashion from streetwear to sportswear to formal in a place where not only... Girls, boys, family members, any age can go. And I just loved the whole idea and thought this would work in Shibuya, <laughs> you know? So I uh, actually approached H&M, had an interview during an MBA session at one point. And they went around at the end. It was like, I think it was like the Financial Times of Sweden. Being like, what will the graduates of this MBA program want to do? And Everyone went around and I just blurted out, I want to open H&M in Japan. And little known to me, it became the headline of the newspaper the next day. She has a vision to open. And the owner and the Pearson family, they read oh, it. Oh, they contacted me. So they you. contacted me. Wow. Yes. talk about serendipity. That's Carl so, Johans. Yeah, Carl Johans. Okay. Yes. So they contacted me, and at that point, they had not opened in Asia at all. So it was an exciting time. What year was this? This was in 2005, yeah. And they were just about to open uh, at the moment, you know. And then they said, oh, come and join H&M. And I did the whole working in the store, the whole entire thing. And then things were going. I had my first child. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll live in Sweden, et cetera. Then they call me three months into my maternity and say, we're opening in Asia. We're opening in Hong Kong, then in Shanghai. Come and join the team there. So I moved my family all the way over there. To Hong Kong, yeah, and worked there for a year as they opened their first stores there, and then it was like,
3: now it's time for Japan, and that was opening. So your vision in the newspaper headline came true. It was a dream,
1: honestly. The whole thing was a dream. Uh, I ended up working for H&M for almost 10 years.
3: Are you familiar with the concept of manifestation and visualization, that if you say something and put it out there with real intention. Yeah,
1: I want to believe I had a whole strategy behind
3: it. It was just
1: pure passion, if you know me. Yeah,
3: but that's what counts, But I right? think
1: that, that really is the lesson I learned from my family. And so anyway, I started the journey there and worked with H&M 10 years. And I just love what it stands for as a company, what it brought to Japan at that time. It was great. And then around 10 years in, I just figured you learn one way of fast fashion. Now I wanted to learn luxury. I mean, the whole... Timeless craftsmanship, all of this marketing and all of this I was interested in. And I joined the LVMH group right when the designer for Givenchy was changing and worked with Givenchy for four and a half years through two designers (laughs) and then through COVID, actually. So unfortunately, I only started my career in luxury pre-COVID a little bit, but mostly through COVID. But it was a very interesting time, I have to say. And COVID was the reason why I started to see My vision for retail is completely different now. I see a huge opportunity obviously with tech and the acceleration of tech in all of fashion. And I wanted to dive in and join where I am now, Zozo as the executive officer overseeing the fashion.
3: So for all of our global listeners all around the world who don't know what Zozo is, how do you describe what Zozo is?
1: So Zozo is a leading fashion e-commerce platform in Japan. And the strongest point is that it is very popular with young Gen Z. Mm
3: -hmm. So
1: got 10 million users and average age is 33, but the bulk is under 20. So it's really the pioneer, I would say, of fashion platforms. So we sell both fashion as well as cosmetics and now diving into luxury as well based on this user database.
3: So when you say you sell fashion and you're moving into luxury, can you give us some examples of the kinds of brands that you put under the fashion category and then what what luxury brands are introducing? So
1: in the fashion category with mostly all the domestic uh, Japanese brands are online with us too and it can also be fast fashion brands and select shops all these kind of domestic brands and then we go into luxury and designers and that could be everywhere from Chloe to Loewe to Givenchy, Burberry, different brands are, are working with what a section we just opened called Zozo Villa about a year and a half ago So we're diving into that. And the idea behind Zozo Villa is to really bring an opportunity for these Gen Z to stretch a little and buy their first piece of luxury. And that's on the Zozo platform. Now, Zozo is also known not only for fashion, but also for tech and fashion tech specifically, and works a lot with body scanning, foot measurement, cosmetics measurement. So using tech to help solve a lot of problems in online shopping. So, it's a really fashion and tech
3: company. So, let's take a step back. The culture here in Japan around fashion is so rich and so deeply ingrained in the way people engage with their clothing and what it represents for them. When you think about the role, that fashion plays here in Japan versus in other places in the world that you've been exposed to, like Sweden or elsewhere? Like, How would you describe the way people engage with fashion here, and how is it different than in the West?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say what is specifically different, but what I do see stand out is it's really an expression of identity. And interestingly enough, there is a lot more interest for discovery, I think, in Japan in individual style. Yeah. On the other side, though, there is a homogeneity. I would say. Yeah. So once a trend starts, all of a sudden, everybody is wearing that trend. So it's a real dichotomy of the individual and as well as the collectivism. So it's kind of a cultural thing. So I can see a lot of trends starting and getting on fire really quickly, but dying out very quickly too. So very trend sensitive.
3: It moves quite fast It here. goes
1: very fast.
3: Last night I was having dinner with some young Japanese fashion professionals and they were talking to me about the loose socks. Oh trend. right,
1: yes.
3: <laughs> right, and I hadn't really and then they sh- they showed it to me and I was like, "Oh, okay, it's not it's not even something I've seen in the west." Yeah. But there's all of these little details that just become it's like you said they like kind of spread like wildfire. Yeah. And then once it's everywhere,
1: I think culturally I can see it not only in fashion but in general, there's a lot of niche markets yeah. inside. So once you can hone in on one niche little market, The thing is that the whole entire market of Japan is so big that that niche can spur ahead very, very fast. So once it catches fire, it will go really fast. But the key is to maintain the fire, I think, when you're trying with a fashion brand.
3: So what does that mean for a company like Zozo that's trying to cater to this customer whose interests might be changing really quickly, where trends are coming in and coming out, where the brand mix has to be able to Address all of these different.
1: Yeah. So, what's very important is the constant newness. Thing to keep on bringing new collaborations, new content, different ways to style. It's very important to be as fresh as possible, and especially with the young Gen Zs, this is normal for them. What they wear today, they wear for social media maybe, but tomorrow they change. I mean, they're very sensitive to change. And I think that newness and excitement and engagement is something we have to really work on as a, as a brand and what Zozo really tries to hone in on as well.
3: Now, I'm thinking about your role and your time at H&M where increasingly they're having to think about sustainability. Yes, yes. And this idea that things come in and out of fashion is inherently Unsustainable. So in terms of the way the Japanese customer, especially these young Gen Zs, how are they thinking about sustainability? I mean, everywhere in the world, it's the Gen Zs that have kind of raised the flag and kind of alerted all of us to the importance of thinking, engaging differently with fashion.
1: I see a huge interest in sustainability among the Gen Z in Japan. Very much high awareness, interest from where they want to work to how they want to shop. The difference, though, I think, I don't think sustainability is the reason to purchase. Not yet in Japan. I think everyone wants to learn about it. They're interested. But it's not the sole reason. And I think that's a little bit different from the West now. I think overseas, you have a lot of more purchase-driven decisions, right, in sustainability? Or is getting there? I
3: feel like what we see a lot in the West is young people who are very aware. Yes like they are here in Japan, it sounds, of the climate crisis, who are concerned about the impact that big companies and organizations like those that are in the fashion industry are having and their contributions and impact that they're creating on carbon emissions and other issues around sustainability. But we don't yet see a massive shift in behavior. The other night I was having dinner with someone here who has young daughters, And he said they're obsessed with Shein, which is inherently, you know, a kind of wear once or twice and move on. So it sounds like the same tension exists here, which is like young customers say they care about sustainability. But when it comes to the purchasing decisions they're making. No.
1: And that's why I feel working, I mean, having worked at H&M or Givenchy as a brand, but now working as an e-commerce platform, I have much more access now to educate, to raise awareness, and also create a reason to change a shopping behavior. I think we have to all work to make buying sustainably sexy. This is the thing. And I think that's where we really need to focus on and then also limit the choice at the same time. Don't make it possible to buy in an unsustainable way. So it's a long way to go. But I think in Japan, it's slowly starting from companies changing their mindset too. And it's really moving quite Fast, I would say, and that will shift to the
3: customer. Well, what's interesting is you were talking earlier about the introduction of designer and luxury into the mix on Zozo Villa. And in a way, if you think about the culture of luxury in Japan, which probably started with the arrival of Louis Vuitton here in the maybe 1970s or something, there's a real culture around vintage, and there's a real culture around buying things that last. And in a way, the most sustainable thing that we can do as customers is to buy things and keep them and pass them on. I think the real problem that exists in other parts of the market is that we buy things and then we dispose of them quickly and they end up sitting in landfill. Or we engage with companies that are creating lots and lots of stuff, a lot of which isn't sold, so it ends up in some kind of landfill. In a way if you're trying to educate customers around luxury and buying things that last, that is more sustainable. Absolutely. And
1: I think that is one of the key driving factors for the success and the huge growth of luxury in the past few years, especially in Japan. And another thing I see among the Gen Z is that the resale platforms for luxury, not only for luxury, resale platforms in general, have really grown a lot in Japan. And that. Just indicates to me their mindset shift that's happening. I will purchase something very expensive. Maybe I will put it on social media once, but then I will resell it. And they're already thinking about the resale value when they purchase yeah. the item. So that resale platform, the CTC platforms, vintage rise, all of this we see a lot more. And Zoza works also on the used platform also makes it very easy and incentivizes customers to return their items or return any items and recycle in that way too. So the growth there, it's double digit growth at the moment now. This is continuously going to grow, I think.
3: We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast.
2: Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., Copyright 2024.
1: Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits.
2: Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit eBay.com for terms.
3: Let's talk about the past few years, which have been to use an overused word, unprecedented in terms of the impact on the way we've all had to live. You know, I was just saying to you, I haven't been to Japan in four and a half years. And I've come back here just really curious to see how things have changed. But how do you think the luxury customer has changed? Not just on Zozo, but just generally, what's happened here over the past few years?
1: And what's interesting is I mentioned, I just joined the luxury group at the start of COVID. So the biggest shift we saw was first the reliance of luxury was originally on a lot of foreign clients. The shift that COVID has forced us to do in, within the luxury industry is to focus on the Japanese customer mm-hmm. and really focus on that base and building uh, an acceleration in the one-to-one client telling. for example. The second shift would be digitalization. I think the luxury industry was very, very... <laughs> Better I have better, for a better word, I mean, slow in adapting. There was no real need, and it was all about the customer experience in the store. And then all of a sudden, your business model of the store is no longer accessible. So how to provide that deep personal connection and that luxury experience online? This was started from giving iPhones or phones to every sales client to be able to build that one-to-one connection during COVID. So the investment and the growth in digitalization was another huge thing. So I believe that the customers because of COVID in the luxury now, are really expecting more and more personalization. I think this is a hyper-personalization. This is an expectation now. We were able to deliver this during COVID. It gave us more time, really individual. They expect this on an everyday, I think. So the expectation has risen a lot,
3: I think, for luxury clients. And how do you think that Japanese customer is still different from customers in other parts of the world? Because... People used to ask me, this is way pre-COVID, about you know, Chinese customers and Japanese customers and European customers and American customers. And my response was always that the Japanese customer was the most discerning customer, the customer with the highest level of understanding, appreciation and expectation yes, in absolutely. terms of everything Absolutely. Is that still true for the younger generation that's coming through? Definitely.
1: I think when you say discerning, I also think there's a lot of research and thought that goes into purchasing something. I think quality is very much valued and a trend sensitivity. So you've got high trend quality and really a value-driven kind of
3: model. That hasn't changed at all. Where does that come from? As someone who grew up here in Japan, like, I'm always curious to learn, like, even the way you go into a store here and everything is packed to perfection, you know, and you'll see customers, they're about to purchase something and they'll inspect it. They'll check the stitching. Where does that come from?
1: I wish I could answer that, but I mean, I just think it's really ingrained in the culture. I think it's all about simplicity and really about uh, perfection. So, This is the best country for this kind of customer experience and the quality and the craftsmanship. That's why it really matches luxury, I would say, for sure.
3: Got it. So let's talk about the e-commerce space here in Japan specifically. You know, pre-COVID, as you said, Japan was a laggard when it came to luxury and e-commerce. You know, people here preferred the in-store experience. Obviously, the pandemic and lockdowns and everything that came with that made it impossible to go into stores. So e-commerce grew. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. the metrics around that and what you saw happen as someone yeah. who was sitting I mean, in that pilot it, yeah, seat? Yeah,
1: exactly. Within luxury, I, I saw a huge acceleration there out of a need. So, I mean, a problem drives innovation, basically. And from there, then it became a sudden shift first in how we communicate. So in marketing spend, for example, more print and media, all shifting to digital marketing. Then an investment in clientele, digital clientele, virtual showrooms, uh, one-to-one appointments. And then it became about data, about how personal we can get with our clients about how we use the data we have today. And this became a huge motivational factor. So Maison started investing in their own dot com, but also starting to look at platforms externally as well as a means of recruiting clients. So it really pushed the envelope, I would say, and really changed the way we do things. And not only in luxury, but in the market in general. And there's a huge opportunity then to provide more infrastructure for omnichannel. So I think omnichannel has been rather slow in, in forming because as a country, we, we have very good logistics, good infrastructure. I mean, I think per capita, we have the most uh, you know, uh, retail per capita. It's so easy to go shopping here. So why do you need to buy online? But I think COVID really pushed that in all realms of the market.
3: So as you think about that customer now that things are opening up in Japan, you know, the stores here are now all open again. They seem a bit quieter to me than they were before. Like, what's the...
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be much more now a hybrid. I mean, I think the expectation will be the role of retail stores, I think, will be much more about the customer experience, about the branding, the emotional aspect that's going to then maybe propel you to purchase online. And it doesn't matter how you purchase online. What happens online is speed, personalization, you know, problem-free, ease. But that experience is still going to be very, very important, I think, in order to be able to grow the business. I would,
3: would a company like Zozo ever consider getting into physical retail? And, you know, you talked about omni-channel, yeah. right? So the experience of being able to maybe engage and discover a product online and then try it on in a store and then maybe make the final purchase Online later, like the customer journey has changed now. Exactly,
1: and and so Zozo has started with Zozo Mo. It's called an omni-channel um, solution for the brands as well to help them create the infrastructure to be able to do omni-channel. So because we are a platform, we work with almost you know thousand five hundred brands, so eight thousand so clients. But we work to provide that infrastructure to make it easier so that inventory management, supply chain, all of this can be digitalized. At the same time, your question of Why would Zozo start on uh, real retail? We just opened, actually, as of yesterday. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, something called Niao Lab. Niao means, in Japanese, something that's suited for you or perfect for you, styled for you. It's an interesting location in Omotesando. It's by appointment only, five appointments a day, and it's a personal styling service for free. So you enroll into this, you come into there, and then you will answer a few questions and then we'll also work with our data analysis and the AI to figure out three outfits that are perfect for you, that is suited for you, make you feel confident, then do the makeup as well. And the whole experience is around two hours. The reason we start this kind of thing is basically to understand more what is personal styling? What are the dynamics that successfully can lead to personal recommendation. And by being able to define that, and it's basically, we call that a lab because we're still researching.
3: Right, it's a learning opportunity. It's a
1: learning opportunity that we're inviting, you know, a thousand of uh, customers to join us in to hone this so that we can actually define the tech that can support what suits you, not only in fashion in the future, but also in music and in other areas as well, to figure out what is your personal style. So this is our motivation to start something like this, to really push the envelope a little further to see how we can become even more personal, which is where I think e-commerce is
3: going. It's interesting because I think about the department stores here, Mm -hmm. the really famous Japanese department stores like Isetan and Hankyu and Mitsukushi. I guess the only place where you could find all of those things before was in one of these big department stores you'd go there you find the beauty you find the fashion you find the music you'd find, you find know, but you're trying to create that experience now through this like personal studio yeah. or lab
1: and department stores also have what's called geisho. these are these luxury personal stylists that individually work with high-end clients as well but we feel that that personal recommendation shouldn't be a service just limited it should be for everyone and it should be that when you shop on a platform for example everything that you see is just handpicked exactly for you. And the accuracy that it is to recommend something for you is right on point. I think when you're able to do that, it's amazing. The music industry has been able to. I mean, when you go on to Spotify or whatever, you can pretty much see what kind of recommendations are quite accurate. How to do that in fashion, then in makeup, then in travel, it would be interesting to see, I think. But this is what I think customers will
3: really demand for in the future. So there's a lot of people listening who will not have been to Japan for a while or maybe they haven't been at all and they'll be interested in like the opportunities here for international fashion brands to kind of service this very sophisticated, advanced, discerning customer. What advice do you have to offer to those designers or brands that want to enter this market?
1: So my one word would be patience. I think what will happen with most brands, especially brands that are famous abroad, coming into Japan, once you launch, the hype and fanfare will be incredible and you'll feel you're completely set. The issue is, as fast as you become popular, as fast as you can decline, unless you continuously have the long game in mind. You need to invest in marketing, invest in localization, in order to continue the hype. So very many brands are fooled by that initial hype. So I would say take patience. It's a very delicate market, but full potential. You just have to take it step by step. It's not going to go fast, but once you get it, it will be loyal customers uh, and a very stable business in such a big leading market. So patience is huge. The second thing I would say, localization. As much as famous as we have, we always talk about local and global marketing, for example. I find that local ambassadors, local campaigns play a really important role to bring the brand proximity and raise the brand awareness within Japan. After all, we are an island country. So I think it's very important to work with local brand ambassadors and campaigns.
3: Is there a brand that you think has done it right that could provide or act as a case study for other brands in like doing it right in Japan?
1: Yeah, I think if we talk about foreign brands, I think the LVMH group has been strong, especially Dior, both in cosmetics and in the couture. The way that they balance the global brand DNA and storytelling, but localize it as well. This delicate balance, I think, is done really, really well. And they're both in couture and cosmetics working with the same brand, but really creating an immense world of Dior that's incredible to Japan. So I think that's I'm a little biased having worked with LVMH, but I'm a little biased, but I think Dior has been
3: Market leader, incredible. So what's an example of what they did that made them so successful in terms of the localization?
1: So they take local brand ambassadors as well, and they've introduced local brand ambassadors, both in the cosmetics and the couture, that I think is really good. And that Right now, Dior has brought the exhibit uh, to Japan, really opening up the world of Dior here into Japan, and also highlighting the connection of Dior with Japan. So if you go and see the exhibit, it's unique to uh, Japan. They highlight all the connections that they've had. And I think that kind of proximity and understanding that consumers can relate to just makes them fall in love with that. It no longer becomes just a foreign or a French Dior. It really becomes an international Dior, understanding Japan and working with a Japanese customer. It's a really beautiful way to do it. So I think that kind of a little twist to the localization is really important
3: to do. Okay, well, Christine, it was really nice to meet you. Thank you for sharing all of your experience and knowledge and passion for this industry with us. And to all of you listening all around the world, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. I'm bidding you farewell from Tokyo, which is beautiful and sunny today. Tune in next week for the latest episode of the BOF Podcast. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria,
4: Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash B-O-F, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash B-O-F.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,